I am so glad to welcome you as we gather once again as the Christ Journey family and wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I'd like for us to, uh, let's start together with uh, this declaration of faith, infused with hope, with what we know is true. Nothing is too hard for God. I want us to say that together. Ready? Nothing is too hard for God. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and say, nothing is too hard for God. Go ahead. Okay, now one more time, everybody together, take a breath, let's turn the volume up. Nothing is too hard for God. We embrace this, we receive this. Lord, will you show yourself faithful and true to the promise of your word that nothing is too hard for you this day. Now today, we're going to explore what is arguably, well, the most phenomenal verse in all the Bible. Now that's quite impressive to say, isn't it? That's quite a claim. The most phenomenal verse in all of the Bible. But before we do, I want us to reflect together on what we just saw in that introductory video. You know what um, cool techies call the bumper? That's what we went through. And I want you to remember together with me that what we saw first was this guy looking at a board that was full of headlines. Chaos, challenge, headlines from today's news uh, could be very discouraging. But instead of just walking on by or spray painting over or doing some other kind of destructive response, the guy posts another headline just right square on the board, and, and it's one that, that kind of looks like a business flyer, maybe something that he was given by somebody back when, and then folded, stuck in his pocket, and now it's, uh, it's faded, it's creased, but he unfolds it and discovers it to be a truth whose time has come. Victor Hugo, the uh, author of Les Miserables, is credited with that, that quotation that there's nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. Well, about then, these words pop up. You, I mean, they pop to me. You see them, infinite hope. And, uh, and then I see what looks like a figure eight, only it's on its side, but it's not a figure eight at all. It's actually the mathematical symbol of infinity. Like Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. Well, infinity defined is, uh, is a quantity greater than any countable number. Infinity is something greater than can be counted. And so what is this infinite quality that we sometimes forget, even though it's in our own pocket? What is this time-worn truth that we rediscover in troubled times like the ones we're in. It's God's quality of hope. I mean, this is God's infinite hope, not wishful thinking, not just, well, I wish for, I'm wishing for a better day. That's not, that's worldly hope, no. Biblical hope, infinite hope, is optimism that flows from confidence. Biblical hope is faith in its future tense. Biblical hope is that certain expectation that God is good even when life isn't, and, um, and that God can be trusted in spite of how things seem. It was hope that inspired these words that were found written on a wall in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. 
I believe in love. Even when there's no one there, I believe in God, even when he's silent. That's a declaration of hope beyond what's countable. And yet, it's hope that can be counted on. Hope that, that supersedes the darkness. Hope that, that, uh, that shows up in the dark place, but then outlasts it. So here's what I'm thinking. Did you notice, what is the last thing to leave the screen in the opening bumper? Simply two words. Infinite hope. You want to see it again? Let's watch it now. You know, that's a lot more than a placeholder. And I am so thankful for the creatives in our church who bring their best thinking together to bring truth alive in art so that, that we, can, we can have our minds inspired by it. That's what this is. And especially on a day like this for a series like this, the verse that we're looking at today is a declaration of infinite hope. And to me, it's the most phenomenal verse in all of the Bible. Now, I know you may have some that you consider to be powerful, and you know what would be great is even right now, if you want to just enter your powerful verse in on the chat, but I'm telling you, to me, this is the most phenomenal verse in the Bible, and I'm being very careful in choosing my words phenomenal. It's like in the Bible, period, drop the mic. So let's go back to the workshop, and, uh, and I'll show you what I mean. Oxford Dictionary defines the word Phenomenal in two ways, and both of them apply here. First, the first means remarkable, extraordinary, and it has synonyms like breathtaking, staggering, magnificent, astonishing. The truth of this verse fits all of those descriptors. And then the second definition means perceptible. Perceptible by the senses in real-time experience. So it involves phenomena, those are facts and events in nature or society that are not fully understood and yet are perceived by human senses. Now, I'm thinking here uh, in the realm of experience, and those descriptors also apply here. Now, I want to say this, thank God for our senses, young people, boys and girls. Have you realized this yet? That as wonderful as our senses are, not one of them can tell us the whole truth about anything. And yet if we pay attention, then they give us a piece of the truth, like a piece of the puzzle that, that we can put together to experience reality as an act of faith. Now, that's what this verse affirms. You ready for the verse? It's Romans 8, 28. Hear it again for the very first time. We know that in all things, God works 
for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now let's read it again, only this time I want you to join me. I want us to read it together out loud. Take a good breath, turn the volume up. Let's, let's say it together, here we go. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Bam, it's like drop the mic right there. In all of our life phenomena, God works phenomenally for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That's phenomenal. But as phenomenal as this verse is, it also holds, did you know this? It also holds the distinction of perhaps being one of the most misrepresented, misinterpreted, and misunderstood verses in the Bible. So before we unpack all of this phenomenality here, I wanna start with what it doesn't say, okay? Uh, things that may sound similar, but they don't mean what this verse says, like what? Like, everything happens for a reason. You ever heard that? Maybe you've even said that. Everything happens for a reason. This verse does not say that. Now, sometimes people say that when they're in a disappointing situation and they're looking for an explanation. But this verse, how do they know that? Everything happens for a reason. What are they appealing to? Fate? This verse isn't about fate. This verse isn't about positive karma or the universe coming to your aid, okay? This, this, this isn't about the universe doing something for you, but I can agree that everything happens for a reason. Maybe you can too. I'm thinking, hey, sometimes the reason is people do stupid things. <laughs> everything happens for a reason, right? Now, maybe, don't be offended with that. If you're offended that I use that word, then uh, maybe find comfort in this. Everything happens for a reason, right? This verse does not say that. It doesn't say Everything that happens comes from God. No, this verse does not say that, that God causes everything that happens. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say that God causes everything. That sounds more like Islam than Christianity. Whatever happens, Allah willed it. The Bible teaches that stuff happens in this world, in this life, that God doesn't cause. It isn't his will. It's not God's will that sin destroy lives or blow up marriages or, or break hearts and break homes. And yet people sin and perish here. That's not, God's not doing that. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is not wanting that anyone perish, but that everyone come to repentance, to positive life change in him. So it doesn't mean what some people mean when they say God is sovereign. Now listen, God is sovereign. I believe that. But not in ways that act like God is to blame for the evil that is in the world. It doesn't mean that, that God is to blame in ways that mean I can be lazy or I can be irresponsible. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is good Sometimes it's abused like that. Life on earth started out good, but you know what? Then a lie broke the goodness and not so good stuff has been happening ever since. That's the Bible story and lies don't come from God. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, Moses, God is not a man that he should lie. 
Jesus said the devil is the father of lies, not God. That's John 8, 44. Evil doesn't come from God. Jesus said God is good, pure goodness. Mark 10, 18, no one is good except God alone. And then James, James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, you know, God cannot be tempted by evil. This is how good he is. And he doesn't tempt anyone. This verse doesn't say that. The verse doesn't say that God wants you to be happy. The verse doesn't say that, hey, every little thing gonna be all right. No, no. Now, we want to be happy, and we would love for every little thing to turn out all right, but that's not what this verse says. This verse does not say life's gonna be easy. No. No, 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 no. Okay, wait. Well, if it doesn't say that, then what's so phenomenal about this verse? Well, listen again. And then let's ask God to open our ears as we hear it once again. It says this, we know. That means we have cognitive awareness that in all things, that means nothing that happens in our lives is beyond God's reach, but in all things, all phenomena, God goes to work. God works. He, he rolls up his sleeves and he starts synergizing experiences. He doesn't cause them, but the Greek word here is synergizing. But God has assigned himself workspace in all things, and there he brings his divine energy for what? For the good. For the good. Oh, but wait, but wait. It doesn't stop there. Did you see this? The verse doesn't say for everyone. No. It says for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So you know what? This verse isn't a one-size-fits-all promise for believers and unbelievers alike. This verse is a promise specifically for believers. Are you a believer today? This verse is for you. For people accepting God's call into his purpose, and then what? Who love him. They've been loved by God, and they're loving him back. Now, if you're not a believer today, don't be offended. Don't be offended. This is important for you to know. And I know on the surface, it may sound like God is, is like discriminating, doesn't it? But... Um, I'm going to come back to this later and offer a little more clarity, but for transparency and for honesty, this verse was written to believers about believers, not unbelievers. Now, there's a saying, there's a saying in Bible understanding and Bible interpretation that a proof text without a context is uh, usually a pretext. Pretext means a hiding place for something that's not true. The, one of the devil's favorite places to hide lies is in Bible verses. Did you know that? That's true. But the context, the context of the Bible gives us the full reference point for Bible truth. And the context of this verse, Romans 8, 28, is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Um, and that chapter is about what God does for those who trust and follow Jesus Christ. Are you trusting and following Jesus Christ? Then this chapter is for you. This chapter is for believers. Now, if you're not a believer yet, 
then you would be interested in knowing this because this is God's promise. This is what he offers, and you can have this by trusting Christ. But if you are not trusting Christ right now, then I'm telling you, you are not experiencing this. That's the context of this verse. Like what? Well, let's look at it. First, for our guilt, he offers pardon. Verse one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, for our troubled minds, God offers his peace. Verse six, the mind of sinful man is death and hostile toward God, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and what? Peace. And then third, when we feel lonely, when we feel empty, uh, God offers his presence, his presence, his Holy Spirit. Verse 11, he will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives where? In you. You can't get closer to God's presence than him coming alive in you. And then look at this. So there you go. God's pardon, God's peace, God's presence. And then for the areas that we feel trapped in sin or habits that we can't shake or that we can't break, look what God brings to us next. Verse 26, his power. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's talking about the power of God. The Holy Spirit brings God's power to liberate and to lift and then empower us for living this life and then for facing, guess what? This is Romans 8, 28. For facing whatever comes your way, and I mean whatever. That's why he says in all things, God goes to work for your good and the, fulfill the fulfillment of his purpose in your life meaning and purpose, not only here, but in eternal glory. This is God's promise that we're laying hold of here. So here's the storyline. God enters, this is the promise. God enters the mundane, God enters the messy, God enters the injustice, the abuse, the broken, hurting places in our lives, in our worlds, and, uh, and he makes each one of them a construction site for infinite hope. Or we could say it this way, God goes to work in the whatever, and he works to bring good from it forever. That's what this verse is about. That's what this verse means. In fact, let's say that together, okay? God goes to work in the whatever and works to bring good from it forever. That's what this verse means. We love him because he first loved us. But you know what? When you love God, then God just loves you back. And he loves you back again and again and again and again in whatever he meets you in his love to transform it forever. And this is his promise. But you know what? In doing so, he doesn't violate your autonomy. He doesn't violate your freedom. He doesn't violate your responsibility as a human being created in his image. The Bible story coming to mind for me is the story of Joseph. Now, not uh, the fiance to Mary, mother of Jesus, Joseph, but Joseph, um, who is the son of Jacob, known as, who was known as Israel, um, 
in the book of Genesis. Now, Israel had 12 sons. Joseph was number 11. Joseph was his father's favorite. And uh, that became eventually unbearable to the other brothers in the family. And so they conspire together to get rid of him. They betray him. They desert him. They, uh, they actually sell him off into slavery. And then they go back home and tell dad uh, with some bloody clothes saying that a wild beast came and had killed him. Now the Midianites, who had actually bought Joseph from his brothers, um, they would eventually sell Joseph again to a guy from Egypt named Potiphar. Now Potiphar was an official that worked for Pharaoh. And Joseph, in Potiphar's service, showed himself to be good, loyal, faithful, quality worker, leader, and soon enough has risen in the ranks that now he's been appointed head of Potiphar's estate. And uh, Potiphar, since, uh, well, um, Potiphar's wife, since Joseph is handsome and buff, she, uh, she takes a shining to him. She wants him to be intimate and then repeatedly seeks to entice him time after time. And one day, she grabs him by the coat and is trying to take him to bed, and he slips out of the coat and runs away. And then she tells her husband that that servant of yours tried to force himself on me. And so Potiphar has Joseph thrown in prison for something, obviously, he hadn't done. Well, in prison, his leadership qualities rise again. And the warden appoints him his right-hand man. And then Joseph starts using his gifts to help inmates. He has a gift of interpreting dreams. He's helping other prisoners. But when they get out, they forget all about him. And now seven years later, seven years in that prison, Pharaoh now needs help understanding the meaning of a dream. And a former cellmate of Joseph remembers Joseph and says, you know, there's this guy who interprets dreams. And Joseph, now 30, is brought before Pharaoh, and his wisdom is so impressive that Pharaoh, long story short, eventually promotes him, enlists him in service, and promotes him to put him in charge of getting the nation ready for the coming hard times. Well, uh, hard times also come to Joseph's family, his brothers, his father who thought he was dead, his brothers who have no clue where he is. But they as a family think, well, maybe there's food in Egypt, so let's go down there. They go to Egypt and don't realize it, but there Joseph reveals himself to them. I mean, and through a very finely orchestrated plan, uh, forgives his brothers, reconciles with his family, and then helps them get ready for the coming famine. Amazing story. The full story is told in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, the last 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. But Joseph summarizes his experience in this, in this verse, Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Phenomenal. The phenomena of Joseph's life becomes God's workspace 
and God. God didn't cause his brothers to betray him or the slavery that came to him through those that bought him. He didn't cause the seduction of the woman or the imprisonment by the, by the guard. But God rolls his sleeves up and goes to work. He puts his energy to work, synergizing the pieces of, God's, of, of Joseph's puzzle into God's saving work. Joseph loved God. All through his story, Joseph loved God. And you know what? God is just loving Joseph back, fulfilling his purpose in Joseph's life. You know, that doesn't just happen in Bible stories. It also happens in our lives too. Not just in a book written long ago, but in our lives today. And I'd like for us to listen now as Jason Burris shares some of how God has shown up in his story. Let's watch. Hi, my name is Jason Burris. Most people call me or just know me as JB. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I remember a lot of things about uh, my childhood, um, but certain things stick out. As Christians, my mom and dad, they really taught me, you know, what God's Word says, how I should work at uh, living that out and they also showed me the reality of sin, um, the brokenness in our world, and um, how it affects all of us. My family, we had a good opportunity for me to go to a private Catholic school. It was, it was, a, it was completely different. For a kid who has grown up around um, mostly black people, um, so I remember going to this, this, uh, this school, and. Yeah, it was, uh, there were 14 black kids and one black girl. It probably was the first time, even though my parents had done an incredible job uh, in uh, putting me and my brother and sister in different environments, it was the first time on a regular basis that I felt like, oh man, this is really different, you know? Um, this is really different. Uh, I remember another thing at that school uh, being, I was an athlete in high school and competing um, to the best of my ability, being one of the best on the teams and the coach not placing me in competition because he wanted to place another kid who was not black um, into competition that day. And this was like a big meet, you know, um, this was, this was a, yeah, I think it was a state, a state competition. Um, that really rubbed uh, me the wrong way, but it also rubbed uh, my parents the wrong way. If we were to go to a school like that to get a better education or to get a good education so that we can further our um, opportunities to go to college and like, how could I get that opportunity by not being or having the, the opportunity to compete being taken away from me um, for the because my skin is brown um, and you wanted somebody else who was not as good to like that that didn't that was bad that was really bad and I rubbed my dad the wrong way eventually I left that school um, I can walk through life with those experiences and with those lenses but when college started, and even into my life now, there is this, there's another circle that is formed, and it's a circle where um, 
majority culture, or, uh, which is for me has been mostly uh, white people um, and the, the what's white, what I know as white privilege um, exists in this, in this world. And these people were here in college to take advantage of all the opportunities that college gives them. They had planned on being here. Their families expected them to be here. They could afford to be here, some of them, most of them. This is the first time I understood what systemic racism is after you learn kind of what all goes into that. But as a believer in Christ, as I grew in my faith, as people, as I was encouraged in my faith from my parents and I, I learned more about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to walk it out um, as a believer um, from different people all through my life, whether they were black, whether they were white, whether they were Asian, whether they were Hispanic. Um, it has helped me get to a place to understand that my identity in Christ is the most important thing. And I'm so reminded that even in the hardest times, it's not my opinion, it's not what I think, it's not your opinion or what you think. Jesus gives us what to follow. Um, and he tells us to love each other. He tells us that um, that's how people will know that we're Christians. Um, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan where someone needed help. And through the busyness of life and the biases and all the things, the prejudices that we have, things get cloudy. I'm guilty of it myself. I like this kind of music most of the time. <laughs> but I think Jesus constantly asks us, can we put down our biases? Can we put away our prejudices and become aware to the people that are around us? Because um, we're all made in the image of God. So. So that's why I like living in this, this third circle a lot. Um, it keeps me so honest, it keeps me hungry. This third circle is one of, that reflects the diversity of, of where I live in Miami. And I love this third circle because it just constantly reminds me of like, be a learner, JB, be a learner, be a listener. What you don't know, uh, go learn it, you know? And have the, the glasses, have the lenses of Christ You know, when we hear stories like these, like of Joseph or of Jason, uh, there are points in the story where I just want to, you know, I want to say, hey, wait, 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 Joseph, you know, they shouldn't have treated you like that. You didn't deserve that. They, they shouldn't have behaved like that towards you, that your brothers, that boss, that woman, you know, that, that never should have happened. That, they shouldn't have done that to you. And then when I'm hearing Jason's story, I got some rising up in me again, you know? It's like, they never should have tr done that. They shouldn't have treated you that way. They, uh, they should have behaved differently. Can I ask you, do you have a they story where because of something they did, it affected your life? Maybe, uh, they never should have treated you like that. But because they did, and maybe they intended you harm. Well, listen, that's why Romans 8.28 matters so much. 
Because in this world, as we still work for justice, as we still practice mercy, as we still seek righteousness, you know what? They keep doing stuff, right? Whoever your they is, they keep doing stuff. And, uh, but as we do, here's what we know. God is not absent from the mess. God is not absent from the abuses, from the injustices, from the broken, hurting places in our lives. In fact, God rolls his sleeves up and, and then he goes to work making each one of those a construction site for infinite hope. How did we say it earlier? Like this, God goes to work in the whatever and works there for good to bring good from it forever. That's true for you today too, friend. If you love God, if you are called according to his purpose, that's what this verse means. We love him because he first loved us. And, and when God loves you, when you love God, he just wants to love you back. He wants to love you back. He wants to love you back again and again and again and again in whatever comes your way. God just wants to love you back and go to work for good out of whatever. Now, dear unbeliever, if you've hung in there to this point, there must be a level of openness in your mind. And I want to tell you, God absolutely wants good for you. And God wants good for all, but specifically for you. But he, he will not violate your autonomy. He will not violate your freedom and your responsibility to get it to you. You have to want it. You have to be willing to receive it, that God will go to work on your behalf and you will receive it. In order to experience that, you pray like Jesus said, your kingdom come, Father, be my king. You work your will in my life on earth as it is in heaven. You gotta be willing to receive the gift of salvation, to let yourself be loved. And I don't know of a more significant hope to hold on to in a time of global pandemic than the one that's at the heart of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That means our world. Today, every nation, every person, God so loved the world. Even in a time of global pandemic, God loves you that so much that he gave his one and only son he makes the first step of love. And then when we love him back, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, then they shall not perish, but they have eternal life. Will you let God do the work of salvation for you, in you? What, would, what does that mean? That means you'll receive his pardon, you'll know his peace, you'll feel his presence, you'll sense his power, and he will go to work bringing his purposes to fulfillment in your life. And it all begins by a, a simple prayer that says, I'm open, Lord. And you can pray it with me right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I open my heart to you. I receive the forgiveness of sins because of your death on the cross, and I receive the gift of your spirit life because you rose from the dead, and I now turn from my way to learn to go your way and invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. In your name I pray, amen. As you become a believer, then these promises 
become yours from Romans chapter 8. Believer, is there a place in you where God is saying, you know, it doesn't matter what they do or what they say. You trust me to meet you there. And remember, remember, maybe this is a word from God for you. There is no testimony without a test. But God goes to work in the middle of the exams of our lives to bring hope. He goes to work in the mess to bring the message of infinite hope, the construction site in your life. And you, if that's what you are willing to invite him to do today, then you can pray this prayer with me. Yes, Lord, I believe that. I trust you. I know you're at work to bring good in the middle of this crisis, whatever else it looks like. I hear your call and I love you back. Would you make that your prayer now as we offer it in Jesus' name? Lord, you are phenomenal. What you have done on the cross and rising from the dead and placing your spirit inside us and then not forsaking us, not forgetting us, never leaving us to the end of the age, but that you are loving us back time and again, crisis after crisis, including the one we're in. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work right now in the phenomena of our life to bring something phenomenally wonderful to pass. And though others may intend harm, that in spite of what has caused it, you can go to work to bring your divine energy synergizing and redeeming within it. I pray you'll do that for someone right now. For marriages that are challenged for families that are, that are struggling. Lord, for, for young people that have wandered away, for older people who have grown weary in well-doing, Lord, would you just breathe fresh hope into every life today as we once again receive this promise. And thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.